But I say she got her heart right with the Lord when she was in her 20s and she finally noticed me. Um, but as you can tell, we love to laugh. <laughs> Laughing has been a medicine in some really painful times for us. And so we want to share one picture. Halloween 2005. Um, Napoleon Dynamite was big at that time. One thing you don't know about Tara that you can probably tell from this picture, she is all in with whatever she does. She is fully committed. Uh, she worked for about six months to grow that mustache, and it really <laughs> paid off. I think it really nailed the costume. Um, so anyway, um, that's a little bit about us. Uh, okay, your turn. So we have two children. Sam is about to turn 21, and Faith is 19. There we are from Easter. Yay. Um, so we had the opportunity, like Mandy said, to launch Reengage at our church in Georgia, and we led that ministry there for about two years before God moved us to Texas. Uh, we really love serving with Reengage at Watermark and are especially excited to share with you tonight how the goodness of God transformed our lives and our marriage. So I grew up in a home with an overbearing dad. Uh, I really felt like I could never get anything right when I was asked to do things or forced to do things more accurately around the house. I'd always end up getting yelled at, feel like I couldn't do it right, and just didn't have what it took. Additionally, I went to a private Christian school that had a really strict demerit system, and that was just not compatible with who I was at that time. And so from like first grade to seventh grade, we had a field trip every week, and I went on like three or four field trips total because I was always in detention. Um, so that just, that combined with my home life did not really uh, help me out a lot. So that fueled, both of those together kind of fueled the thought in me that no matter how hard I tried, um, I just was not enough. Uh, the message that I received was, you're loved and accepted when you get it right, and you're going to be punished when you get it wrong, so you better get it right the first time. As I continued to mature, I became a master at never letting anyone see my struggles because I was convinced that if people got to know me, they would dismiss me and run away. So I invented a really likable facade of myself that would attract, you know, quote, friends, even though they didn't really know the, the real me. So I carried this mindset into marriage and tried to hide all my faults from Tara. I was hiding a lot of struggles like pornography and anger, probably a little bit of narcissism in, mixed in there, uh, because I felt like if she knew what was really in my heart, that she would just run for the hills and leave me. Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Unfortunately, I would not learn that message until much later. Uh, when Tara would rub up against any of my faults, she would you know, find out that I'd been looking at porn um, every once in a while, she would react to me in ways that were really similar to my dad. And so I started to associate her with the feelings that I had, um, resentment from my childhood. And I began to think that she was the problem and the reason that I was so unhappy in our marriage. The biggest secret that I was keeping from her at the time was for the first eight years of our marriage, I was neck deep in a struggle with pornography. There were instances, as I said, she had uncovered it, but she never had an idea of how much a hold it had on me and how frequently I was turning to that sin. I felt trapped because I wanted to be different, and I also wanted um, to stay with Tara, and I didn't think that I could let her know what was going on and keep her with me. So I didn't think I could do both. 
Um, I thought that changing and letting her see behind the curtain would be too much for her and she would just run away. So uh, one other dynamic was that I was not being honest. I didn't have a lot of community with any of my friends. So I was really walking through this journey alone. Um, And so I didn't have anybody to process it with to help me see the truth. I was just kind of stuck in my own mental rut. Um, Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25 both identically say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end, uh, but its end is the way to death. So I grew up in a Christian home and attended a Christian school from preschool through high school. Uh, I was at church or with church people every moment of my life. I was taught to live for God in every aspect of life, but I experienced more emphasis on morality and behavior management than actually living from a heart surrendered to Christ. I really didn't even know what that would mean. The external seemed most important. That caused me to become a constant critic of myself and others to assess whether I was measuring up or whether they were. I received the message that perception is more important than reality. You must look good, even if you're not good. I genuinely desired God and to have a real relationship with him, but I didn't know how to make that happen. So I just created the good girl, Christian girl's facade that wasn't really the reality of my heart. I believed the lie that as long as I looked good, I was good. I struggled with perfectionism and couldn't fully accept God's love for me. I had very high expectations of myself and was not gracious to myself or others internally, even though I seemed very gracious externally. I carried this mindset into marriage. I had worked so hard to manage my own actions and life reputation, so when David became my one flesh, I saw him as another reflection of my reputation in the world. As a result, I treated him in very controlling and critical ways. My expectations of him were unrealistic and unfair. I cared more about his actions than I did his heart, just like I did with myself. If I discovered a weakness in him, I reacted with judgment and control rather than love. David's sin struggle became a great target and distraction for me to avoid addressing my own sin. Matthew 7, 3 through 4 says, Why do you look at the speck in your, in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye while there is still a beam in your own eye? Depending on myself rather than God caused me to struggle a lot with anger. I would make an effort, and if the effort didn't produce what I had hoped it would, I got angry because I hated mistakes. When faced with my own failure and weakness, my perfectionism led me to blame others to take the focus off myself. Proverbs 15:12 says, A scoffer does not like to be reproved. She will not go to the wise. Rather than seeking wise counsel to see the error of my ways, I just continued trying to handle it my way. So we had both spent years trying to manage our sin rather than kill it at all costs. We were storing up these horrible attitudes in our hearts, and they were just festering and leaking out in sinful ways on everybody in our life. At this point in our marriage, we'd been married eight years, and I was really bitter towards Tara and utterly convinced that I had just married the wrong person. I started looking for someone else to make me happy. I was so messed up in my thinking that I actually thought it was all Tara's fault and I was just a poor, innocent victim of her anger. Out of the evil that I had stored up in my heart, I had two affairs 
and I built an entire secret life that Tara knew nothing about. Because of my lack of community, I started seeing a counselor just to, um, you know, we were trying, she was still kind of um, recovering from the revelation of the first affair while I was in the middle of the second one. But during that time, we were going to a counselor. Um, He ended up being more like a brother who guided me spiritually. And as I was sitting in his office on Good Friday of 2007, the Holy Spirit started wrestling with me. Never gets old. And he wouldn't let me go. Up until this point, I had lied uh, and I had hidden most of the second affair from my counselor. But the Spirit kept screaming in my ear, if you're ever going to be the man that I created you to be, you've got to take the risk and finally be honest with everyone. So I let my counselor know the full truth. His mouth hit the floor. He knew Tara. He knew the anger that I was about to step into and we were both like, it's over, right? And he's like, yeah, probably. Um, so he did the best he could. He like, like, because as an idiot, I told him like 10 minutes before the end of the session. And so he's just trying to put some Band-Aids and give me some, all right, good luck. Um, and so I kind of went off storming the beach at Normandy with not a lot in the, in the tank. Um, and so uh, let me find my place here. Um, so we were both convinced that my marriage was just going to be over. But at that point, I was willing to do that because I knew that being reconciled to God was more important than saving my marriage. And I want you to hear that. Being right with God was more important in that moment than being right with Tara because I knew that I had to be right with Christ if I was ever going to be right with her. So once I disclosed everything to Tara, things blew up for both of us, understandably so, and we were desperate for help. So we flew to Colorado for an eight-day intensive And we spent uh, a week there. That's where I caught a glimpse of what it meant to be a godly man um, and husband and father. I came home from that trip with a renewed sense and passion for Christ. And I was ready to do whatever it took to be the man that God had created me to be. So when I became aware of all the ways that David had betrayed our relationship, my natural response was anger. And, you know, I was just so sure that it was righteous anger. I was wrong. I prayed for months that David would repent and turn back to God and me. And interestingly, when he did, I was even angrier. I was angry at God's forgiveness of him and how little pain David seemed to endure while I had suffered greatly for months. It was easy for people to feel bad for me and see a good woman that was hurt by a bad guy. That's what I had worked all my life to make sure that they would see. But that was not the truth. We like to choose sides and find the bad person in a situation, the person to blame. But there are no innocent victims in marriage. We all contribute something. God mercifully allowed circumstances into my life that tested the truth of my so-called goodness. I was focused on morality, not submission to Christ, like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal in Luke 15. Christianity as a religion fit my fleshly self-righteousness very nicely. I liked doing right and being seen as a nice person, but that was for my own glory, not God's. God was calling me to offer David forgiveness, but I struggled with the seeming injustice of forgiveness. 
During my struggle to forgive, God asked me two questions that, became, that began to change my heart. The first question he asked was, how much of me do you want to know, Tara? Philippians 3.8 says, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He challenged me not to limit my experience of him by seeking to avoid pain. Loss and learning to forgive would draw me closer to the heart of God. Second, he asked me, how much are you willing to endure for the sake of another person's soul? Hebrews 12.2 tells me that Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was to come. And that joy was the salvation of our souls. He reminded me that he didn't enjoy the pain of the cross. He despised the shame of it all, but he humbled himself and endured endless losses to ensure I could be restored to right relationship with God. The justice I was looking for, it was on the cross. Christ paid for our sin. I forgive because I have been forgiven. He asked me to prioritize David's relationship with him over David's relationship with me. He challenged me to humble myself and endure for David's soul. And ultimately, he saved mine as well. In these last 15 years of journeying with God in this new way, one of the biggest shifts that's happened in both of our hearts is the grace that we now extend to one another. Uh, we don't do this perfectly, obviously, but we still struggle um, with horrible communication. Like, we are opposites on every measure of personality. We're at the other end of the spectrum, and so communication is our ditch. Um, and our personalities still lead us to try and solve problems with very different approaches. And we're slow to compromise, meaning we're stubborn, um, which helps us a lot. Uh, we both really like our ideas, and we're really confident that what we thought is the right view of that problem, even though we saw it completely differently. Uh, but seeing who we are apart from God is humbling. Uh, so we work to continue submitting ourselves to him so that the previous attitudes we had don't grow and fester in our hearts and our minds. Our desire has shifted from trying to honor self to trying to honor God. Also, I wish I could sit here and I could tell you a really nice, clean story that I came home from Colorado and I never struggled with porn again. And it's just, you know, once the prodigal comes home, it's the beautiful story and he never wants to leave again. But that was not my story. Things were not magically cleaned up in my heart. Um, it's been part of my story even after the big turnaround that I experienced. Uh, but I committed during that time to tell Tara about each time and we would walk through the pain of that instance together. Um, I'm still very diligent to depend on God, and I am very aware, daily aware, that He is the only reason that it does not have a death grip in my life right now. Uh, additionally, right now, God is showing me subtle ways that I am not dependent on Him. In Georgia, we had a comfortable, easy, familiar life. We had been there our whole lives before we moved here. And the routines and the surroundings of that area made life really easy for me. So easy that I could exist in that environment without really being dependent on Christ. And that is dangerous. All of that was taken from me when God called us to move to Texas. And I've been surprised to discover some of the things that God is showing me about my own heart. So we're still in that transition period of trying to start a new life here. 
um, in a new area with a new church and new surroundings. And we have made friends, and we're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable here. But God continues to remind me that my goal in life is not to regain some level of comfort here in this new place. He hasn't promised us that life would be comfortable. He's only promised us that in the midst of the ups and downs of life, he will be with us, and that will be enough. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have life, you may have peace, sorry, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So God is growing me to not depend on this world for comfort, but rather depend on him. Only he is dependable, and only he can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. So the way God transformed my heart 15 years ago revealed to me the truth of my sinful self-righteousness and my true need for a Savior. If you can believe it, I spent the the first half of my life thinking that the cross was a little bit of an overreaction for me. If you think that's blasphemous, you're right to think so. That's who I was. But God broke through that facade and the thing that I lived in that was such a lie and showed me that I truly need him. I need a savior. And as I've been following God rather than myself, my anger has decreased He helps me resist my unfair expectations of myself and others, which often is what fuels my anger. He guides me in understanding the hidden motives of my heart and helps me combat the lure of my self-righteous flesh that tries to convince me I have power apart from the Spirit of God. I used to be focused on David's actions and how they affected me, um, and that made me not a safe place for him to be a real person and share his struggles. Now I understand that his relationship with God is much more important than his relationship with me. We share openly about our daily thoughts and temptations in a way that diffuses their power in us. Neither of us live under the delusion that we've got this. We live in constant dependence on God for every victory in our hearts and minds. I'm following God's plan now, so when the plan doesn't go the direction I expected, you know, like moving to Texas, I pray and I wait for him to give me new understanding. And he is really so, so faithful to give me the faith that I need to continue with him. He's in charge, not me. I experienced this a little bit like GPS in my car. I'm heading in a direction, I've got the destination in, um, but I don't know how to get there, right? So trust allows me to follow the turn-by-turn instructions um, without knowing all the turns that are coming. Thankfully, God is infinitely more trustworthy than my GPS. Uh, He can actually change the roads to be where he wants them to be. His sovereignty is really why I get up in the morning. Uh, This world always seems to be spinning out of control to me, but I can rest in knowing that God has everything under control, and I'm on my way home. So we hope you can see um, that God's work in our hearts is the only reason that we're together today and able to share God's amazing grace with you. It's not because we're smarter than others or because we read the right book or listened to the right podcast. Um, All we did was follow Christ imperfectly, and he led us out of the pit one day at a time. We both agree that our journey has been harder than it had to be because um, we only had uh, glimmers of biblical community along the way that made the burden we carried much heavier than it would be if we were sharing our lives with others. The darkest points in our marriage journey were also the points where we were the most isolated. 
that's why we love serving and reengage because we get to walk with couples and remind them of the hope that can be found in Christ, even in the midst of circumstances that would otherwise seem hopeless. So I just want to encourage you, take advantage of the gift that you have been given to walk with other people rather than alone. If I can give you one thing to hang on to this evening, just a little ounce of hope, it would be that no matter how bad your situation is, God is bigger. My favorite verse is John 1, 5, and it says, The light has shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So however dark your life is right now, however dark your marriage feels, whatever your experience of that is, we know a God, we have experienced God um, in a way that says it's not too much. It's not too dark for him. Uh, This verse has brought me a lot of comfort knowing that the light of God's love and grace overcomes even the darkest of sin. It gives me hope for my own heart when I'm reminded of the darkness in my own soul apart from Christ. And it gives me hope for any other marriage that may be struggling. So I just want to challenge you, bring the light of Christ into your marriage. So when we were in the thick of things, no one, no one could have convinced us what God was going to do in our lives, let alone the ripple effect of grace that he would produce in the lives of others through his story in us. Our lives are completely changed. Our children's lives are completely changed. Many of our friends' lives are completely changed. And countless others that we don't even know. God's grace has an endless reach. We encourage you to relate to each other with Christ's redeeming work in mind rather than your own personal desires. It's easy to make marriage about our own happiness, but the real joy of marriage is found in loving one another as God has loved us. It's tempting to see each other as an enemy, but the truth is, sin is our enemy. And in marriage, we get to join forces to do battle against our sin together instead of alone. How could your daily interaction change if you were focused on supporting your spouse's connection with God more than on the ways your spouse could make you happy? Always remember that your circumstances may be difficult to overcome, but they are not impossible to overcome. Luke 1.37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. If you are feeling like you are in an impossible situation, remember that God is fully capable of fulfilling the good plan he has for your life. The struggles of life are often the catalysts of his greatest work in our hearts. Submit yourself to him, and he will do it. Thank you for letting us share. It's like a mic drop every time, huh? <laughs> Love it.